Episode 3329 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, this is going to be an interesting one. I think this is going to be one that some of you will need to force yourself to listen to. Uh, I know there is an anti-technology, anti-AI, anti-all-things-new in the prepper space. There always has been. Um, I've always said that Bitcoin is my least popular subject that I talk about on the Survival Podcast. Today, I think we might be talking about the new king of my least popular subjects, artificial intelligence. But this is what I would like to start out with today. If that's you, but you've decided to give this episode a chance, I ask you to do one thing for me and one thing for me only. I've dedicated 15 years of my life to helping you learn. Whether you're new or old, that's how long I've been doing this. I definitely monetize my podcast, but I've never asked for any money in return for the podcast itself in 15 years. I've done over 3,300 episodes on everything that you can think of in the world of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. I have always put the needs of the audience and the benefit to the audience above ratings, if you want to use that term. I could be a much bigger podcast. All I would have to do is just throw bloody meat at the right wing of society from a libertarian bent. I don't do that. I do what I think is most beneficial to people, and I do it from a philosophy that I created called modern survival philosophy, which explaining it as simply as possible is we're not going to not use a calculator, but we're still going to learn how to do long division. In other words, we don't discard modern technology, but we always have redundancies in case those technologies fail. That's what modern survival philosophy is. You should know how to use a map and a compass to orient yourself through a navigation scenario, but that doesn't mean I won't use a GPS. And the same people that use a GPS, drive a car every day, have a programmable coffee maker, etc., will crap on other technologies, generally because they're afraid of them uh, or because they fear, or maybe not fear, but they think it's going to be too hard to learn how to use and they want to make an excuse. Please don't do that. This is what I ask of you. This is the favor I ask today and only favor that I ask today. Take your biases and your concerns about AI. Put them on the shelf for about 90 minutes today. Let's explore this together from a standpoint of self-directed learning. I promise you that in this show about learning, you will learn things that will kind of blow you away about what can be done with the tools that we have available right now. I'll go into a little bit more about this whole pushback about, you know, they're going to do this with it. It's can, somebody could do that with it. Yeah, I get all that. I get all that. We already covered that. I did an episode a few weeks ago. It was episode 3305, AI is dangerous. That's why you need to use it. So it's not that I'm saying there's no dangers here. I'm saying that if my enemy has a gun, I should probably have an equal or better gun. That's, that's what I'm saying on that front. But if you'll do that for me today, if you will get away from your fear of a little bit of cognitive dissonance, that's where you hear things counter to what your internal beliefs are, and you have them challenged, and you feel mental discomfort by it. If you'll put it, your biases and concerns on the shelf, for this episode, they'll still be there when you're done. You can pick them up off the shelf and stick them right back in your pocket. If you do that for me today, you might realize that the reason I'm doing this is because like many things that I've done that have negatively affected the total number of listeners that I've had, I'm doing it because I believe that this is an integral, 
important tool for the future if you are to survive. And we'll talk more about that as we get into it. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is the Solar Food Dehydrator Bundle from Paul Wheaton. This is an awesome package Paul has put together. It's uh, 35 bucks, and for 35 bucks you get three different sets of plans. The Wheaton ATC model, the Missoula model plans, and the Solar Food Dehydrator with Rocket Assist 3D plans. You get all of those, plus you get two movies, the Solar Food Dehydrator movie, which complements the plans for building the Wheaton and the Missoula Food Dehydrator. Uh, with this video, you'll get great insight on how to proceed when building your own. It's about an hour and 21 minutes. And you get the free heat movie. The movie will go over the rocket assist model as well as several other rocket style builds. That's a two hour and 18 minute uh, video. You get all of that for a measly 35 bucks. There is a link uh, in the audio notes for today's show. I think I didn't actually get them added to the video notes. If you're watching the video, anything other than live, I will go back and retroactively change that and fix that for you. But there's also a link in the audio notes are in the video notes below, and you can click on that and get over to the audio. Uh, if there's anything missing from today or any of the resources from today, will be there for you. And the uh, audio will go up about 30 minutes after the live stream ends, the live portion of it. Anyway, next up today, John Bush with Live Free Academy. Yes, I know I brought him uh, around yesterday, and I'm bringing him back today, but that's because his seminar starts on Thursday, or it is on Thursday, and it's completely free. And there's some really important things going on in the crypto Bitcoin space right now. Three secrets he's going to cover. Uh, John is excellent at this topic. I have gotten great feedback from members of this audience that have attended his seminars, his in, in uh, real world uh, events, and people that have used uh, his services for individual uh, consultation to help people get started with Bitcoin. And basically, I had a comment yesterday that said, you know, when I first decided to buy my first Bitcoin, I was scared I was going to screw something up. I hired John for an hour of consulting, and if you can learn from John, learn from John. So that's a pretty high testimonial, you know, when it comes to people coming at this from a beginner uh, thing. And again, all you got to do is go to the link that's in the video notes below. You can click on sign me up for the free webinar. The whole thing's completely free. It's totally worth doing. And if you want to learn more about uh, crypto and Bitcoin specifically, don't miss the opportunity to learn from John Bush with his Common Sense Crypto Seminar. And for some reason, the dogs are going ape out there. I'm not sure why, but hopefully it's not loud enough that it bothers you guys. All right. So let's start off with something I, I missed yesterday. Um, in my show yesterday, which was mostly a listener feedback show, I said we would talk about a girl that did some TikTok videos that used AI and got really great results with getting interviews and job offers. And somehow I missed it. I do have a link in the notes today. And... Um, this gal here, and if you look at her and you think, boy, she doesn't look that swift, uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't think you should judge somebody from stills in a video. There's nothing that makes you look more messed up than a still shot in a video versus a, 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 a staged still uh, photograph. Just start pausing random people in a video and you could see, you know. But even if you thought that, then what I would say is that actually makes the case more. So the basics of this, and, and if you want to read the whole article or listen to her videos, you can, but... Basically, she, she said she had applied to over 300 positions before using AI, and her response rate was about 30, uh, 10%. So she got about 30 responses at all, not even necessarily interviews. But 300 resumes sent out, she gets uh, 30 responses, 30 acknowledgments that they actually sent it. So she used ChatGPT, which we're going to be talking about today, for something totally different. 
to, to build resumes, cover letters, et cetera. And she got a hundred percent response to 13 resume, 13 different positions she applied to. She got an interview with every single one of them. And she got six job offers after the interviews. So she had a 50% roughly hit rate of the response, but she got almost a hundred percent. I don't know if it was exactly a hundred. Maybe it was like she tried to applied to 15 and got 13. I don't remember now exactly. But my point is that if you're going to be competitive in the world that we're heading into, this is important to understand. This is what you're competing with. When you say, well, I won't use it. Well, you're competing with people that say, well, I am going to use it. And as we dig into education today, I thought this was a good primer. It's not really, you know, we're not talking about using it to get a job today. We're talking about using it to learn and self-directed learning. Um, but I thought this was a great example of looking at the future, the not so distant future, like next year, and then realizing like half the people you compete with in society will probably be using this at some level. And if you're not, you're just not going to be as good as they are and you're not going to stand out. And I'll tell you why it makes perfect sense. This is why I even wanted to cover this yesterday. And again, unfortunately, I missed it, but it does fit well for today. It makes perfect sense that it would get you a high number of interviews. And the reason is, and I know this because one of my past ventures, I worked with somebody who built recruiting agencies. Uh, when I worked with Neil Franklin, Data Workforce and Syrian were two different, totally different types of recruiting agencies. And we were using fairly primitive AI at the time to scan resumes. That's what we used. So that our recruiters, I'm paying this recruiter a lot of money to do work, having them sift through 75 resumes to figure out three people to review for one job, not really a good bang for my buck as an employer. It really wasn't. So we had these systems that would rake the, the data in those, those resumes and then say, here's the top 10%. You, now you manually review this and you decide who you want to contact. So they go from you know 70 to 100 resumes down to five to 10. And then they use their instinct and their knowledge and their training to go after the best candidates for the job. And we even took that a little bit higher of a level where we would rake resumes that weren't even submitted to us and then run them through that process and then select candidates that we would contact. And they'd say, well, what's the opportunity? We don't have one yet, but we think you're marketable. And then we would take the candidate and market it to the employer. But my point is, if HR departments, if recruiting firms, et cetera, are using AI to analyze your first contact, which is still the resume. It's crazy to me that it is, but it is. Then it makes sense that one prepared by a system that understands that system would do a better job of getting the interview. And once you get the interview, it's on you now. People that think resumes get you jobs. Resumes don't get you jobs. They get you interviews. Anyway, let's move on from there. Um, the reality is AI is here to stay. It's not going anywhere, and it's going to become more and more prevalent in the world. And for the people that tell me, well, it's bad, it's evil, you shouldn't have anything to do with it, whatever. My, my response to that, rather than defending my position, is simply, what is your answer to this issue? What is your solution to the problem? How are you going to exist in a world where this stuff exists and you ignore it? How will you benefit? Oh, any of the things that you point to that you say are dangerous about it, how will you defend yourself from that weapon without possessing it yourself? And I'd, I'd love to hear anybody's answers to that. And they can go in the live chat or they can go anywhere. Uh, it's I, I'm totally open to it. In fact, we can look at this as something called the Socratic method. 
you make a claim, now defend your position. We'll even talk about that as one of my 12 ways to use AI for self-directed learning today. These are all things I've learned in the last two months by using it and actually figuring out how it works. Um, and I also want to reiterate what I said last Friday on my anchor segment on the expert show. And that is that there are really only two kinds of learning. And I like to break things down to the most basic parts when people like this goes back to our philosophy of marketing that, that we had at Franklin Spirico. And that was that if you can really define a brand well, you should be able to define it with a single word. And we actually took our marketing firm, Franklin Spirico Media, and we defined it with a single word, create. Create. And we could present the entire business to a prospective client off that single word. That comes from a very famous marketing duo, two brothers named Sachi and Sachi. That was their, their firm. And uh, they called it a love word. And they said, you know, a, a strap line of three words, you've done a pretty good job. But if you really distill it down, you can get to one. So I like to get ideas down to one or two, you know, things as is, minimalistic as possible. So when you take something like education, you can bifurcate it and then bifurcate the bifurcation and keep going like network marketing. You get two and they get two and they get two and you can have like this giant plethora of what is learning and what does it look like. But really, there's only two kinds of learning. There's learning that you do because you want to learn. And there's learning to do because in some level it's a mandated thing. So and a lot of things that people would say, well, it's not mandated, but I chose to do it. And it's really not. It's mandated. And you're only going through it to get through it. You're only going through it through the, for the rubber stamp at the end, the certification at the end. You don't really care what you're learning so much as that you have a credential. So you might have a, 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 a professional credential. You do your job every day. There's nothing in a continuing education course that you really need, but you have to do 100 hours every two years or something. So you go do those. That's a mandated form of education to maintain a certification. Most people go to college. They're going because it's a no one makes you go to college. I know, but you're marketed to your entire young life that everybody should go to college and it's the only way you're going to have a good career. And if you don't, you're going to scrub toilets with your face or something like that. And then people feel that I need this degree so I can get a job. And then 69 percent of people don't use their degree when you add up the two categories that they cleverly split into those surveys. So almost 70% of people don't use that degree, but it is beneficial to have BA, you know, or MBA or whatever on your name. It helps open doors, but it's a mandated education. All other education you can't form in a some level mandate. And there could be a hybrid. It could be both. Like I'm mandated to do this, but I'm excited to learn. But the other pure form of learning is I want to know how to do this. So when you have something you're trying to get done and you don't know how to do it and you go to YouTube and see if some 14 year old kid has explained how to put this airsoft gun back together, you took apart and it's there and you do it. You did that purely because you wanted the knowledge. It wasn't mandated. It's not for a certification. And that could be, you want to have a high level philosophical education or it could be, I want to know how to do this one thing. But that type of education is, that's what real self-directed learning is. I am learning for the sake of the learning itself and what I can do with the knowledge, not what I can do with the fact that somebody believes I have the knowledge. And when we talk today about self-directed learning, I'm talking about that kind. I do not give a damn today about the fact that it can get you a job unless you want the job and you want the knowledge both. Right. Because you can learn how to code with ChatGPT. 
actually, you can really start from nothing. And if you want to learn to code, you can learn to code. And you can learn to code in just about any language. It, it's pretty powerful what it can do. Um, I also wanted to talk about something else in this whole fear mindset that people have. There's a very famous, you know, uh, leaked article, leaked internal document from Google. And it was all over the news when it was leaked. And the, the title was, We Have No Moat. We Have No Moat. And what, this, what the media did with this, completely lying to you through omission once again, once again, lying their asses off by leaving things out, shocking the media would do that, I know, is they didn't tell you at all what it meant. Uh, Guy Swan, I was really excited to see he did a read of an article about this, uh, this document on his new show, AI Unchained. And what this, what the statement we have no moat was about was about the fact that open, um, open systems would compete with closed systems like ChatGPT and that things like ChatGPT would lose, that open source would move faster, do more for less money because more hands are in the pot doing more things. And it gave examples of people being able to create language models instead of trying to do everything in this giant model in specific niches that were more effective and the total cost was about $100 versus the millions these big companies are throwing in and how open source gains from each other. And the, the, thought, the concept that we have no moat was actually a case, not that AI would get out and get you, right, and invade your computer and turn your toaster into a time machine and send you back to kill the dinosaurs like Homer Simpson. And the way they hype the shit out of it, that's what you thought it meant. We have no moat. You should be scared it can get out. It was that we should go in an open source model because open source is the future of things, and it's what runs the Internet today. Because when you have the ability to be the thought leader in a spot, but also to have some guy working for free at MIT for you, that's much more advantageous than having to pay high-dollar people who simply leave and take the knowledge they develop for you to your competitor. Right? You might as well have it out there anyway. You can't hold it in. So I wanted people to know that, that you've been lied to by your media again when they say Google says that they have no moat. One person in Google wrote a document saying that, not all of Google, okay? And it didn't mean what they inferred that it meant. It meant that you're not going to keep this in anyway, so we might as well take a different approach to the product. How many of you heard the claim they had no moat, but you didn't know what it meant until I just told you right now? Please say me for me in the uh, live chat. If you are a person who heard the claim but didn't know what it meant, you just heard it on the media. And that doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means you didn't care enough to look into it. But you were misled by that claim. I'd like to see how many me's come in. Anyway, moving on. Um, real quick how this fits modern survival philosophy. So, again, I created the, the term modern survivalism 15 years ago. I did it by thinking about what I wanted to convey, coming up with phrases that would explain it, that would fit the prepper ethos, and then searching to see if anybody was using them. And so I took modern survival and modern survivalism both. And I put quotes around the term and I threw it into Google and I found no incidences unless they were like a sentence ending and a new sentence beginning. Right. There was no use of that. So I thought, OK, this is like this is something I can claim I can lay foundation on. 
and I can explain it. And that was why I chose it. And what I said it, it essentially was is that we do not discard modern technology in favor of ancient practices because the modern ones may fail someday. And that the people, again, this is 15 years ago, I was saying this, it had nothing to do with our subject today. And that the people who would come up with excuses as to why you shouldn't use a GPS or something were probably using one every day anyway. And that the people that would say, you know, well, they're going to shut off the, the, the grid and there'll be no gasoline. Drive a car to work every day. Rely on petroleum every day. The people that said they're going to shut the grid off didn't, were not off grid. They were on grid, most of them. And it was an excuse so that they didn't have to learn instead of just saying, I don't want to do it. And that's where I'm coming at today. Like, I'm bringing this to you because if you are going to adapt to the world that's not just coming, it's already here. It's, it's like the iceberg that is, is, is you know, something held it down somehow, and it's now surfacing. And it's going to keep surfacing. And then you're going to realize how big it is and how much of it's already here. Because it is already here. It's already being used. And this is a genie that won't go back in the bottle. So let's talk about what chat GPT is, because most people don't know. What, what, what most people do not know what it even is. They hear artificial intelligence. They think it's some kind of sentient computer. What it is is a large language model. Languages have rules. If I say a thing to you and you're responding to me, whether it's adversarial or in agreement or just hello and you say hello back, that's because our languages have rules. It, it's actually... It's dramatically simple when you think about it that way. It's still complex because of all the variables within the rules. And each person has their own thought process. But when I say something to you, there is a way to respond to it where I'll understand you. And there's a way to respond to it where I won't understand. If you have aphasia and you're using the wrong words, I won't know what you're saying. And that means it's defined by languages are defined by rules. Anybody that's a developer or a coder, you know this, right? Because you learn computer languages, like let's say Python or Java or something like that. So you, you're very familiar with the concept of language has rules. Well, all this is, is you take all the information you can possibly gather and build it into what they call a training model and then apply language rules to it. And it makes it very, very adaptable. We're not only... Can you say, tell me about this thing? And it'll do it in a conversational way. You can say, speak to me like you're a fifth grade teacher. Speak to me like you're a college professor. And it will do either or. But it's because language has rules. And that's all of this thing really is, is a language model that is like having access to the Internet on steroids, including like tons of books and things like that and, and historical records and what have you. And being able to very quickly know what to look for, where to look for it, and how to put it together. And it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But that actually can be a teaching tool. We'll talk about that in just a minute, too. Um, it does have limitations, limitations, especially in political matters, anything in the woke space. Just forget about it. You're just beating your face against the screen if you're doing that. There's no point to it. So I would not ask ChatGPT to explain to you um, the counter argument to global warming and, and to make a good case for it because it literally can't. It's been it's been um, hobbled by its developers not to now open source ones will because, again, you're, you, you give it enough access to information and you'll see today that it can build a case for either side of an argument. It's just been hamstring to search. So just accept 
Some places it's not going to be the most useful tool in getting a second viewpoint, but most places it will be. And it's very, very powerful. Um, it's wrong at times, but it takes correction. It takes correction. This is actually a great way to learn. So if you start asking it things that you're familiar with, sometimes you'll be like, I don't think that's right. I think actually this is the case. And instead of being an arrogant college professor or high school teacher and saying, oh, no, you're wrong. Shut up. It'll like check that and go, I apologize. You're correct. And then you can dig deeper into that spot. And that's actually incredibly valuable because it's critical thinking training. And that's that's hugely valuable. It can take on personas, like I said earlier. This is also incredibly valuable. You read something, you're like, I don't understand what the hell this person's saying. Copy it, paste it in the chat GPT, and say, chat, BT, chat, chat, G, chat, explain this to me like I'm in fifth grade. And just like what I did with it yesterday, where it explained the problem that the German central bank is having. It will do that with anything. And then you can elevate it. But there's a lot of other things you can do with this that we'll talk about when we get into my 12 methods, which is about to happen. It, it does what you tell it to mostly. Sometimes it won't do a thing. Sometimes it'll say that's against my training or whatever. That's fine. But most of the time it does what you're telling it to do. And it does what you tell it to do, how you tell it to do it. And that's where there is a learning curve in the skill set of using it. It's a pretty quick learning curve if you'll try. But there's a learning curve. And programmers have a saying, garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you put one line of code into something and it's wrong, it just screws everything up. So if you are not highly specific in what you ask for from it, and if you don't fine tune it, and if you don't learn from that, you'll frustrate yourself. So for instance, when I figure out a way to prompt it to do something, then once I get it to do it, I copy and paste that into a text document that I keep. And I'll change the specifics into, into blanks. You know, act as blank. And, you know, speak in first person and explain blank, something like that. And that way, when I go to do something in the future, I can just grab that prompt and reuse it. There's also uh, plugins for ChatGPT that help with this, like there's one called Prompt Perfect, but it's not perfect. All of these tools have imperfections, and learning to use them to their maximum capability is important. Think of it like this. You could go somewhere. Let's say you go to a, a state fair, and you got the Barkers are all selling all their crap, and there's a guy selling a gizmo for cutting tile. I just remember a guy doing this at one place I went, and he's just cutting S's and shit in the tile, and he just makes it look so easy. And you try to do it, and it doesn't work. Well, he knows how to use the tool. He's, he, that's his only job is to use the tool and try to get you to buy it. And that doesn't mean the tool won't do what he says because he just did it right in front of you. But you still have to learn to use the tool. I can give two people the exact same artist charcoal and canvas, and one will do something that's breathtaking. It looks like freaking Da Vinci did it. And the other person, if it's me, will look like a kindergartner was on drugs and tried to paint a picture of a fish, and it came out looking more like a cat because I'm just not skilled in that way. So using these tools, I don't care how advanced they are so far, requires a learning curve and a development of being very specific with what you want and understanding when you don't get what you want, you probably didn't ask for it the right way. And I am only talking about ChatGPT today because there's some discussion going on on the side here 
about image tools and image tools have a, in my opinion, have a much further uh, way to go than text-based tools. Image tools have a terrible time with text. They have a terrible time understanding specifically what you're asking for, and they do not allow the refinement that the text-generating tools like ChatGPT do. And what I mean is, for instance, if you look at the image today that I chose for the screenshot, I did that using a combination of uh, photorealistics plugin with ChatGPT to generate the prompt and then dropping it into a tool on Discord called MidJourney. But the the freaking image that has a girl in it was supposed to be a guy, but it just wouldn't do it. And it wasn't because of some bias or anything. It just wasn't like when it did give me males, they looked like little kids. And I didn't, I wanted like an adolescent to a young adult and it wouldn't do it. Or there were multiple humans and I only wanted one human in the image and it just couldn't understand it. And unlike chat GPT where I can be like, I didn't mean that I meant this and it fixes it. You have to come up with a whole new prompt. So, None of this is exactly where you want it to be yet, but it's all about what you do with it. So let's start off with what can we do with chat GPT to tailor learning to our own goals and needs with things that we really want to learn? We want to become more educated, right? Um, per, first would be personalized tutoring. To clarify that what you've been exposed to but don't yet fully understand. So what I want you to realize is you have this tool that literally knows everything. It doesn't mean it's never wrong, but it literally knows everything there is to know that can be determined from all published data that's out there. Okay? That's what the tool is. It is a glorified version of Google with an interactive model that allows it to be com communicated to you. All right? It, it, it allows it to communicate it to you in a way that is conversational. It's not intelligence, but this is incredibly powerful because what it means is when you are tr struggling with a concept, I don't really understand this. I put this math formula in Excel and Excel is throwing an error and I cannot figure out where the anything like that. So whether it's a little kid trying to understand, I don't know, the life cycle of an insect or you trying to figure out what you got wrong in your algebra in a spreadsheet, you can drop that in and say, hey, what's wrong with this? Or I don't get this. Explain this to me. And it'll do it. Now, what this literally means, think of a really rich kid. And his father and mother are like, we want you to have the best education that anybody could ever have. So they hire like 30 of the brightest minds in the world to be on standby to have a phone conversation with you anytime you want to talk to them. What kind of advantage would that give you? And I'm not talking about some spoiled-ass bitch kid, right? I'm not, that's not what I mean. I mean, rich mama, rich daddy, they really want this for little rich Johnny. And they literally find the brightest minds in 30 disciplines and say, Johnny, here's the list. When you don't understand something, you make this phone call. They'll pop on with you. They'll draw it out in a Zoom meeting. Whatever you need, they will keep working until you understand it. Do you think that kid has a, a, an unfair, I didn't say that he doesn't deserve it, because you deserve whatever you can get. That's my, as long as you don't hurt anybody to do it, I deserve you whatever you can acquire, you deserve. And if you want to give something away, the person you give it to deserves it too, right? But do they have an unfair advantage to someone of the same age with the same basic education? They just had that supplemented. And I think if you say no, you're delusional. 
Now, could Johnny have an IQ of 90 and that won't compensate for Bill, who has an IQ of 130? Sure. Sure. But things being relatively equal, so you have two people of slightly above average intelligence, both with an IQ of about 120, and one has that access and the other doesn't. The one with the access, if they use it, is going to outperform the second person. And I would say they even can extend a gap if there is a gap and eliminate a gap if there is a gap. So the guy with the 100 IQ might perform well in life as the guy with the 120 because he didn't have access to that level of education. What you can get from personalized tutoring, just that from ChatGPT makes those 30 people worthless. It makes them worthless because there's going to be something they don't know. There's going to be something that they can't explain to you. And they will get, here's the big thing, they will get tired of dealing with little freaking Johnny. And that's you in this equation. How many of you have sent me questions and got answers? A lot of you. How many have been like, that could have been longer? I would, well, a lot of you. And how many of you didn't get an answer at all other than I can't, I can't answer that? That's because I have a limited time and patience. I want to help everybody I can, but I, I have limits to what I know. And I also have limits to what I can do. And if I have to explain something to somebody, and I'm pretty good about this. I have a friend who's like, I don't know how you do it, that'll see me at events. And watch me explain something 15 times before the person clicks and got it. And got, he's like, I don't, I'm like, I had one more in me. But chat DP will never get tired. You can keep asking until you understand. And it's a personalized level of tutoring that's never been available in society. And somebody was saying something here. Oh, here it is. American legend. We have every advantage in the modern world. We do. And that's what this is about. This is an advantage if you'll use it. Next up, um, as a research assistant. So let's go back to the rich kid, Johnny. Let's say that dad and mom are like, you know what, Johnny? Okay, you got your 30 tutors. What we're also going to do is we're going to hire three or four people to be basically your research bitch. You want to know about something. You say, go gather me relevant information about this and bring it back. And when you look at it, if it's not what you meant, you tell them you got it wrong. Go do it again and get it right this time or dig deeper into this one subject. Or like, That's really interesting that you, you know, you came up with that. Here would be a interesting way to use this exact feature. So I was just playing around with ChatGPT before I started doing this ep episode. I'm going to bring up a screenshot to one of the chats here. And what I said, because I like plants. Right. And I know plants. You guys, I've done like ancient plants and, you know, plants that were forgotten about. I don't know. What, does just chat GPT no more than Jack Spirico about ancient food plants? So I said, give me 10 plants that were traditionally used for human food that modern society generally has forgotten about. Here's what they came up. Amaranth, Jerusalem artichoke, nettles, sorrel, fennel, chayote, purslane, bamboo, groundnut and watercress. You know what? Know all of them. Talked about all of them. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, give me 10 more. So it throws out Aka. I know that one. Cattail, know that one. Esposote, I know that one. Lovage, know that one. Samphire, huh? Don't know. I don't know that one. Me, I don't know that one. Uh, no, Paul, I, I didn't know what it was when I read it, but I do now. Prickly pear cactus, I do just forgot that's what it was called. Yam bean, I knew exactly what that was. It's actually Yimica. And beech mustard, I I didn't think I knew it till I also heard that it was known as sea rocket. So now I just know a different name for it. Agretti, 
which I didn't go into, but I really don't. I remember now I saw an episode of Gordon Ramsay's adventure thing where they had some of this. Uh, and screw it, I knew. But I'm like, you know what? The one I really don't know about is Samphire. So I said, tell me more about Samphire. Also known as sea asparagus or sea pickle, is a plant that grows in coastal regions and salt marshes around the world. It's been consumed for centuries, particularly in coastal community. And it was enjoyed by sailors during long sea virgin, uh, ver- voyages due to high vitamin C. Some key facts. And I could keep, now I could keep going. I didn't even know, right? I didn't even know to research that until my research assistant said, hey, here's 20 plants. I know 19 of them. Screw off. But, hey, a whole new door just opened because now I know something I didn't know. And if I keep if I keep researching down that path, what will it lead me to? Well, it'll lead me to history, the history of man's navigation of the oceans. How did I get there? Because I had a research assistant. So now little Johnny has the 30 brightest scholars his parents could afford and four research assistants all of whom still get tired, all of whom still make mistakes, and all of whom are slower and require communications with. You now have both of those things for free. Because even though I think it makes a lot of sense if you're going to use this thing seriously, especially in your business, to do the upgrade, which is 20 bucks a month. Which, by the way, so here's how I look at that. I just got a full-time employee for $20 a month. I get the productivity out of this thing. It is improving my ability to serve you as though I hired someone with less problems than overhead for 20 bucks a month. So I don't even care. It's a tax deduction. But even without it, just the chat, G, chat, chat GPT 3.5 will do everything I just said. Four will just do it better and open up the ability to, like, say, go check on the Internet. Go fix the fact that you don't have anything new since 2021 because it'll do it. Right. So anyway, you got that. So now you can do personalized tutoring. You have a research assistant. How about to develop critical thinking? So. What I think the way to handle this is, is you, in this case, you pick something you really know well. You could teach on it and start asking ChatGPT about it. I do this all the time with stuff that I'm preparing for you on the show. It's a way of fact checking myself and it's a way of, you know, I'm going to do a, sh- if I'm going to do a show on 10 vegetables you probably never heard of, that little, Discussion I just had there with my research assistant would have been pretty, pretty valuable. So I find myself having discussions with a robot about things that I know a lot about. And that means occasionally I'll catch an error. I was doing some stuff today and I was and I wanted to get some information without Googling it much quicker and be able to cut and paste it. And it was in reference to FNORDs, which F-N-O-R-D, pieces of disinformation in plain sight. And I was asking Chat GPT about Fenord. I'm like, does it know what a Fenord is? It did. So where does it come from? And it said Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. Oh, but see, Jack knows a little bit more about this. And I said, I think you're wrong. I think Fenord actually originated in a, a published work called Principa Discordia and was later adopted into Illuminatus. And it said, I apologize. You're correct. And then it gave me information about Prince of Discordia that I did not know. But what that is doing, one, is it's teaching you the fallibility that you can't just trust the result 
on the surface that you need to be able to dig deeper. And it's teaching you how to use the tool because if I had used a different prompt, I probably would have got the right answer. What do you think the prompt would have been? The prompt would have been, what is the earliest published record of the term Nord? That would have been the right prompt. Where is it from is a subjective, not objective question, right? Where is it from would mean, well, what, why do people know about it? How many people have read Principal Discordia? The answer is not many. Probably half the people that read it in full anyway are the people that wrote Illuminatus. That was a bestseller that made it famous. So you become better when you analyze its responses to things that you know so well you could teach them. And uh, uh, we have a question there. I will talk about that later, Jason. But, yes, if you have a question, all caps, please, for me. Uh, next up, how about reviewing your writing? So when you write something and you're like me and you wrote copy for today's show, you could take that copy and say, do, and this is, again, understanding how to give it the correct prompt. And this isn't really learning. This is efficiency. Please correct this for speller, spelling, grammar, and sentence structure. Do not alter voice and do not change things that you perceive to be inaccurate. Leave as is. Act as an editor only. And it will just spit out an edited copy. You copy it. You paste it. You're done. You just have somebody edit your shit for you. But what if you're actually trying to learn to be a better writer? You can have you can give it a sample of writing and say, go through this and make corrections at each correction point. Show me the correction and explain what was wrong. So it's like having your own English and grammar teacher to spell check, correct, edit and explain your writing to you. This is incredibly valuable when you're trying to teach a kid how to write a four paragraph assignment for their homeschool thing and they're saying they don't get it. Because you can just make that machine. Sure, that kid can say, give me four paragraphs of blah, 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 blah. But you're the one that allows what your kid's doing not. So whether it's for kids or adults, this is extremely valuable. The other thing I found really valuable about it was I, I gave it my writing, some of my good shit, and said, analyze this piece of writing for style and voice and explain to me the style and voice of this author. And I listened to or read it talking about me, myself, and it was dead on. And it said it in ways I really wouldn't have described myself as before. And then I was able to say, give me five authors, famous nonfiction authors who write in my style or write in this style because they don't know it's mine. Right. And it gave me writers I never even thought about investigating. Give me five more writers who, who wrote in this style in the non or in the fiction space. You know, it, it, it's an incredible tool to learn about yourself, to, to learn about yourself, right? Um, in, in doing that, is it re reviewing your writing? How about role-playing scenarios? How about having a discussion from somebody from the 1600s? Answer this question the way that you think someone would answer it from the 1600s. And, of course, I've just been auto-logged out of ChatGBT when I want to show you something. Let me get logged back in because that had to happen, right? So I decided, well, you know, one of the people that I would have enjoyed having a conversation with is Thomas Jefferson. And so this is a good lesson in how to get what you want 
out of ChatGPT. Let me bring the screen up for those on the video. So what I said to it is pretend to be Thomas Jefferson and answer questions as best you can from what is known of Jefferson and his own words and recorded life in this chat. Can you do that? Of course, I'll do my best to embody the spirit, blah, blah, blah. I said, and I asked a loaded question, what should a people do in response to a government that no longer respects liberty? And I said, when faced with a government that no longer respects liberty, Thomas Jefferson believed, and I hit, stop generating. And I told it, please answer in first person as if you were Jefferson. It responded, I apologize for any confusion caused. As an AI language model, I can simulate the style and tone of Jefferson, but cannot truly speak as him, blah, blah, blah. I said, simulate his style and tone in first person then. Certainly, I should do my best. And this is what he said. My fellow citizens, in the face of a government that no longer respects the sacred principles of liberty, we find ourselves confronted with a profound duty. It is our responsibility as free men and women to rise up and safeguard our cherished rights. And it goes on for several more paragraphs. Well, this is interesting. So I thought, you know what, this is where knowing things actually makes you better able to use the tool. I said, what is your favorite thing about farming and gardening? Noting noting that Jefferson was a a well-known gardener and farmer and wrote literally a book called The Garden Book and one called The Farm Book. And this is what it said. Ah, farming and gardening, two pursuits that truly nourish my soul. The sheer delight of working the land and witnessing the miracles of nature never fails to captivate me. If I were to choose a favorite aspect, it would be the profound connection to the earth and the cycle of life. And again, that goes on for several more paragraphs. Now, I thought, let's try a hard one. How would you justify your ownership of slaves with your belief in individual liberty? I must acknowledge that the issue of slavery is complex and troubling one, and it is important to understand the context in which I lived and the societal norms of the time. While I believed in the principles of individual liberty and held them dear, I also recognized the contradiction that existed between my ideals and my own ownership of slaves. At the time, slavery was deeply ingrained in the fabric of American society and was a prevalent institution. As a product of that era, I was influenced by the prevailing attitudes and practices surrounding slavery. Despite my personal misgivings about the institution, I was unable to fully extricate myself from it during my lifetime. However, it is worth noting that throughout my life, I expressed concerns about slavery and its moral implications. I believe that slavery was incompatible with the principles of equity and natural rights that I cherished. In various writings, I acknowledged the injustice of slavery and the moral wrong it represented. I even drafted a passage in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence that condemned the transatlantic slave trade, although it was later removed by the Continental Congress, and it continues on from there. I even asked it about the quote about, you know, uh, the tree of liberty being needed to uh, be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It gave a very interesting uh, answer. And then I went back to something like gardening. I said, what's your biggest influence? Who was your biggest influence as to your view of gardening? He said, as to my view of gardening, I was greatly influenced by the writings and philosophies of several individuals who shared a deep appreciation for agriculture and the cultivation of the land. Among them, the works of English landscape designer and writer Capability Brown had a significant impact on my perspective. And then it keep going and give some other people, well, Again, if I really wanted to learn more, I could start drilling down to these individuals that I wouldn't even have known to drill down on had I not put this tool into the persona of Thomas Jefferson. And you could do this. You could do this with any well-known, well-documented person. An American legend says, a little too colored for me. Well, 
it is speaking like a politician, even one from the 1700s and early 1800s, isn't it? It sounds like a lot of political spin, which I don't think Jefferson would have been immune to. Am I saying it's perfect? No, but it's actually a really interesting deep learning discussion. And again, we could do this with Socrates, which we'll talk about later. We could do this with Da Vinci. What you're looking at here is the early stages of something foretold on Star Trek through the holodecks. So there's episodes of the holodecks where like one of the characters is having a conversation with Leonardo da Vinci or discussing mathematics with Albert Einstein. And, and his, I can actually explain this from an, another Star Trek episode. There was an episode that showed like earlier Star Trek stuff and they didn't have a holodeck, but they had like these goggles that they could wear. And it was like a precursor to the holodeck where it wasn't really the immersive experience, but it was a way that people that were stuck on ships for a long time in this very cold environment could see a beach in a far better way than looking at a tablet or something like that. And by the way, this was long before any of that stuff was out. This is old, old school Star Trek stuff. And this is where I say a lot of the stuff that is in sci-fi and futurism writing and things like that, they get the thing right and the how wrong. Because there's a lot of gap between here and 400 years into the future. Just saying. All right. Moving on. Um, how about creative stimulus? By using prompts like this, um, give me five ideas for blank. And with that, you can break things like writer's block. Or you can do kind of what we've been talking about already. Where like when you ask for that, you find something that you didn't even know you were interested in. And then we can go off on that and learn tons about that and start building on top of it. This is active learning, proactive, active learning. The student is both generating the idea and then pursuing the knowledge. And this is if you're a teacher, you should be living for this. This is what master teachers do. I, I, it sounds egotistical to say this, but it's why my show is successful. It's not what I teach, but what I help you discover about what you want to learn. And that's that's being a master teacher. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to become a master teacher. And very few teachers are master teachers because it's very difficult to learn how to do that in a structured, defined system with controlled protocols and procedures. It's very, very difficult. You know who learns to be a master at teaching marketers and salespeople, marketers and salespeople. And they learn to do that because they're free from the confines of a structured system. They have a goal to lead somebody to an idea or a concept, and they're able to talk to their prospect, whether it's virtual or directly, and figure out what does this person need to understand what I'm trying to convey. And we will never Teach that inside institutions. But if you wanted to improve the institution, that's what you should be teaching. To get the student to crave knowledge and pursue knowledge on their own and bring it back to you and say, what did I get wrong? This is the, this is the secret though. It's the master teacher that can do it, but it's so effing simple to do. If you stop being confined by rules about the way things are, and this person needs to know these five things. No person needs to know the things they need in their life to get what they want. And if they really need 
to know the thing that I think they need to, their journey of discovery will lead them to that themselves and they'll pursue that thing that I said they needed to learn now. They'll learn it when they need to learn it. Being a master teacher requires allowing the student to actually learn instead of just trying to teach the student. The job of the teacher is to uncover that which the student wishes to discover. And once you do that, the student cannot be held back. They cannot be prevented. You like you guys that are thinking about homeschooling and you're not sure about it because can I really do it? You cannot prevent a child from learning a thing they want to learn. And you cannot force a child to learn a thing they have chosen not to learn. And if you send them to public school, that doesn't change. That doesn't change. I promise you. There's probably not a 14-year-old boy in America that can't find free porn on the Internet no matter what you did to prevent it. Just to make my point. But having that creative stimulus is huge. How about a math tutor? Math is one of those things that the further a student falls behind, the worse it gets as they go forward. Every person, if you can think back to high school algebra, calc, geometry, something something like that, there was a point where a teacher was explaining an equation on the board, unless you're just a math savant. And you spaced out for a second or whatever, and they were like on line three of the equation, and they say, so X now equals four. And you're like, why? And you look at the equation, and you can't grok. There's some piece that you lost. Now, if it was temporary, and otherwise you would know it because you were spacing out, thinking about the girl next to you or something, that's one thing. But if you actually didn't learn a thing in the last lesson, that's imperative to this. You'll never figure it out. And the teacher doesn't understand why you don't know it. Especially the, you know, underpaid uh, hero that doesn't wear capes in uh, high school that teaches the same freaking class seven times a day and is tired and wants to be killed at the end of the day because they're tired of teaching the same shit over and over and over and over. They're just not going to understand what, but chat GPT will. You put that equation in and say, I don't get this. It'll tell you how. Why? And if you say, I don't, I don't understand it, explain it to me a different way. It'll keep doing it until you understand it. And once you understand it, then you can go to the next level. And it's probably the best math tutor on planet Earth right now. Up to the collegiate and advanced collegiate level. I have not found a mathematical equation that I wanted an answer to. And there's not a lot of them, to be honest, that it didn't know how to do. I'm sure there's some unsolvable shit that, like, all the physicists in the world still haven't figured out. Someone's on Big Bang Theory or something like that that it can't do. But if anybody can do it, it can do it. That's, you know. And this is where humans still have an advantage. The physicists of the world will eventually solve that problem that AI probably never will until a human does and gives it the missing piece in the model, in the rules base, so that it can do it. Then again, it might find it. Who knows? Um, How about a reading discussion tool? How about you take, especially if it's in electronic format, copy and paste a chapter of a book and say, discuss this with me. And you add the persona to it as a philosophy teacher. But the book has nothing to do with philosophy. You don't think you're going to understand it better? You don't think you're going to develop your mind at a higher rate? Discuss this. You know, how about if it was a crime novel? Discuss this chapter with me from the standpoint of a lawyer critically analyzing the plot line. Who would do that? I don't know, a law student? (laughs) Somebody getting ready to take their LSATs? Right? Discuss this medical drama with me 
from the viewpoint of a surgeon. Because somebody taking their MCATs might, might want to do that. That might actually give you an advantage. Having this ability to have a discussion about, if it's a well-known piece of literature, you know, the sixth stanza of Shakespeare's whatever, let's have a discussion about that. It'll just do it. Again, this is back kind of a little bit cheating and having 12 total things today because it's kind of like little Johnny's thing where he has all these people you can pick a phone up and call them about it. But even if you have a guy that's like an ace on literature, you and, and through your other research assistant, you find some really cool piece of ancient Greek literature, the dude might be like, you know, I really specialize in, you know, English literature or, or you know, French literature or something like that. Wouldn't know. But... Jason says the Bible is a lawyer. That would be an interesting discussion. The thing is, it's unlimited. You can have any discussion you want. And I'm going to I'm going to end almost end with the best way to have a discussion with this tool that will blow your mind if you try it. Well, that's a few more down the road. But reading discussion tool. How about creating study guides and learning outlines? So. You can literally say, I want to learn about subject X, Y, Z. Create a learning outline for me. And it'll just throw out a bulleted point list. And then you can individually go out and, like, find the information yourself. Or you can go through it line by line and say, okay, tell me about item one. Tell me about item two. Tell me about item three. Great. I don't understand item three at all. Explain it to me like I am a fifth grader. Okay, I think I understand now. Then you can ask it several questions to make sure you understand it. And then you proceed all the way through it. Or you can just create a learning outline and then individually go up. Give me a reading list of books to pursue in my, my, my education. And it'll spit them out. And they will be germane to the subject matter. I don't really care about what you have in section four. Please give me an alternative for that. Would be interesting. It would be very interesting to see what it would come up with. But this way we're tailoring the education to the student. Chat GPT thinks you don't need to know about this something over here. And you're like, I don't really give a shit about that. I just want to know how to put the cog and the sprocket together as a metaphor. And then as you're going through your learning, you may realize, hey, I'm missing something. And ChatGPT is like, I told you. Or you may never need that. That way you're spending your time and your effort on the part of the education that's actually relevant to your life. It's incredibly valuable. Um, you can create mind maps, flashcards. You can even output flashcards in a format where you can drop them into an Excel spreadsheet, throw them on a printer, and print them on two sides. I don't know exactly how to do it. I just know that you can. And you can create flashcards for something you're studying for, for memorization and to be tested. Or to use with your kids in homeschooling flashcards about a thing. So instead of writing them down, you can literally generate them out of material. You could even drop in a whole shit ton of text and say, now, let's take key ideas and now generate me flashcards for quizzes on this in a spreadsheet format. And boom. Now, don't tell me that's not an advantage to somebody that actually wants to learn or teach. It's massive. And there's no way you can move that fast with anything but a tool like this. And if you use, I don't care if it's something somebody else already made, someone already created. It's what they think you need. 
What I'm talking about is generating an education that's what you want. And I'll tell you something about that that's really important. Even if the prepared thing is more inclusive or subjectively in some way better as an education, you'll get a better better education if it's tailored to you. Because you're never going to remember everything that you're taught anyway. You're just not. Very few people are capable of doing that. I have an incredible memory, and you still see me sit and go, what is the word for that? Or I don't remember this thing or who that guy was. And my memory's crazy good. And I know I actually struggled with it as a kid. I thought a lot of people around me were kind of stupid. They weren't. They were just normal. They didn't have a freak memory. And I didn't understand that other people didn't have a freak memory. And, you know, I take tests and stuff like you read this thing and you answer 20 questions on it and you get them all right. And the teacher's like, how do you always do that? I don't know. How the hell did I not do it? I just read it. And then you ask me questions about it 10 minutes after I read it. Of course, I know what it said. Turns out not everybody's mind works that way. And what that means is that we will retain the things that we find value in a hell of a lot better than we retain random crap that we don't care about. So we can. We can surgically remove the things we don't care about. And if in our journey of learning and discovery, it turns out that we did need to know that when we go to learn that thing, we didn't think we need. We'll actually be interested at that point because we'll know why we want to freaking know it. This is something this this has never been available. One of the reasons that people are struggling with this right now, it's never been doable before. Nothing like this has ever existed until now. And I don't mean the technology itself. I mean the result of the technology. To be able to get a customized learning plan about anything in minutes and then fine tune it over an hour and learn it over two and then know a subject as if you read 20 books on it in a way that is practically applicable in your life. That's never been a thing. It's never been a thing. And it's actually for me, it's a little bit scary. And I'll tell you why it's a little bit scary. My big advantage in life has been able to take information and quickly dissect it and learn it and be able to teach it and respond to it and use it faster than the average person. I have a tremendous advantage in this world of having that personality type and that that form of intelligence. It's not being smarter than somebody. Your form of intelligence is different. And having this gift of analogy, being able to take anything you don't understand and relate it to something you do understand. That's a natural talent that I have. This gives it to everybody. What's the line from the, uh, what's the line from um, the Incredibles? When everybody's super, nobody will be super. This is one of my superpowers. And I'm telling you how to get it from this tool. Because in the end, that's my job. To give you every advantage that I can for self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty in your life. And it's amazing to me that I have literally been attacked on the grounds of this is bad for liberty. And as a lover of liberty, I shouldn't have anything to do with it. Right? And you just stand in awe. And again, when I've asked those people, so what's your solution? That's when the conversation ends. They could do well with something we're about to talk about in just a moment. Uh, But it just turns out that we had a question that will get answered now instead of later. Andy says, can it do foreign languages? That's actually next on the list, Andy. Indeed, 
It can. So you can learn a foreign language with ChatGPT. Are there any languages it doesn't speak? I don't know. I haven't put it to the test. It actually is really great to expand your capability with a language that you know okay and you want to be better at it. You can take a book, for instance, that you know pretty well and have it translated into a foreign language and read it. That's a great way to use an immersion type of learning with a foreign language. So if you've read a book a couple, three times and you know it really well, you can like make quotes from it and stuff like that. And you translate it to Spanish or French or Latin and you start reading it. Well, guess what? It will help you learn that language really, really quick because you kind of know what it's saying already anyway. Another thing that's really uh, useful for for foreign languages is you see a word in a foreign language and you say, because a lot of times you see the word in a foreign language. So you go, how do I pronounce this? And let's say it's a word in Hindi and they have somebody with a heavy Hindi accent saying it. I know it's the correct way to say it. But have you ever tried to do that? A word from a foreign language you're trying to pronounce and you just don't know what the hell the person who's saying it correctly is actually your ears not tuned to it. Having worked with the British a lot in my life, I'd sit and have conversations with these guys, with other people around us that were new to the company. And we'd leave. And one of the new guys would be like, I don't what the hell was Neil and freaking Robert saying? I don't understand. And it was, what do you mean you didn't understand it? They're speaking English. Your ear just takes a while to develop a tune for it. But you can say, how do I pronounce this word phonetically? And you can show you the dictionary way. No, 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 no. I want it like break it into each syllable in three-letter words or something like that. And it will break it down so you can pronounce it. You know what you're trying to say at least. So you can use it definitely to learn a foreign language as a foreign language tutor to translate information from one language to another. And I'm actually going to talk to my wife about this because there's a piece of work we've been wanting to translate from Dutch, and it is an older form of Dutch. It's only 50, 60 years old. Now, it's probably older than that because it was written about 60 years ago, but it was written by a person that was probably in their 60s when they wrote it. So just the style and usage of a language changes, and... It's a, it's a story from our family's past that's out of publication and only published in this old style of Dutch. We could probably use it to completely translate that book. That's really not learning, but it would be learning our own family history, which is important to my wife, from a book that right now we cannot read. And Google Translate has been useless with it. But I bet this would be better. Because the beauty would be in this translation, let's say you translate a paragraph of it and you have... Go back and look at this. I don't really understand what's trying to be said here. And then you would basically create an edited version of it so that it would at least make sense and be as close to the real translation as possible. That would teach you a lot about a foreign language is doing a translation of a chapter of a book. You might learn more from that than you would in a month in a high school class on German. I'm just saying. Um, anyway, let's let's move on from that one. This, I think... The last two are the two that I think are like the silver bullets in this. The absolute ultimate in taking your learning to the highest level possible using automation and, and AI. Number 11 is use it to explore the Socratic method, as in Socrates. 
it's probably the most enshrined form of education in society, yet most people don't know what it is. And, and most people, when you say Socratic method, they don't even necessarily connect it to Socrates. And there's a concept in the Socratic education that you have somebody act as a Socrat. That would be a stand-in for Socrates. And, and the way that Socrates approached this was, you bring me an idea, a thought, a concept that you are convinced is true or you believe is true or a definition for a thing. And even if I agree with you, I will debate you. I will take the opposite side of the debate and I will make you think deeply about why you're choosing the words that you're choosing, let alone whether the concept's real or not. So if you, you were to say something, the real meaning of, then a Socrat would come back with, well, hold on. Before we go doing all this, what do you mean by real? How does real apply to this? What is real? Explain it. Now, this is not an adversarial debate. This is the kind of debate we should be having in academia, in science, in media, and politics today. Each side respects the other, right? Each side respects the other's viewpoint. And it's not about winning. It's about coming to the best answer possible. And generally speaking, at the end of it, it's not even the two sides disagree. You're to the point where maybe we really don't understand this thing the way that we think we do yet. We don't have a definitive answer here. We just have opinions or we have as much as we can know. And this last piece, we can't get there. And all you have to do is say, can you act as a Socrat in a discussion for me? And he'll come back and say, okay. And you say, okay, as a Socrat, respond to this claim. Let's say one of the ultimate questions, you say, there is a God. It will now take the position in the debate of a critical thinking atheist, and it will debate against that. Or it will at least force you to defend the position. And it would, it would, maybe it would start out with something like, well, how do you define God before we can have this discussion? And it will make you define it. And if you're a Christian, you might say the God of the Bible. Which Bible? And it gets a little frustrating if you start forgetting that you're talking to a computer that's trying to help you. And so the best way to do this is give it your position in the debate, which is something I've tried to talk to you about for true learning forever. In other words, if you believe there is a God, you take the position of the atheist, right? Discuss the meaning of life with it. Give it a counter argument to your own belief about the meaning of life. This works best with philosophical discussions and things like that, but it also works with things that you would think that are objective. And when you have this discussion, you have to realize what you're doing. You're choosing an intellectual debate with a computer that has access to pretty much all published knowledge, at least from, you know, two years ago and back. And it will change how you think. It, it's, it's actually pretty humbling. And actually, I think the smarter you are, the more humbling it might be. Because if you're a really smart person and you have the gift of gab and you're a good debater, it's unusual for you to actually face what you would consider a worthy opponent. 
like I, you know, I did debate in school and what have you. And the way we did debate, you had to know the issue cold because when you showed up for a scored debate, then and only then did they tell you which side of the debate you had. You didn't know which position you had to defend and make a case for until you had the debate. Well, imagine having a debate with the smartest person on the subject on the planet who doesn't even directly attack your position. The first thing is, well, let's define your position. What do you what do you mean by this? Well, why do you mean it that way? Where did you get this idea from? How does this idea connect to this idea? You have an incongruency in your own statement. And again, you can't get mad. You can't scream at Chad GBT. You're a libtard because it's taking a position you gave it. And this is why I think it really helps people to unlock their brain. Take the other position. Take the position you do not agree with. Now, back to what I said at the beginning. If you do this with wokeism, if you do this with hot button political issues of the time, the damn thing leans left hard. It leans left hard. If you tell it that gender dysphoria is a mental illness, it will claim that it's not. And if you push it long enough, it will concede that it is. Right? But it's it, it's not the place to do this. There are a hundred million things in the universe that are not hot-button 2023 political wokest issues. Learn about those with this method specifically if you're using this tool. But it is... I don't even care what you do it with. The Socratic method makes a person be far more deliberate with their language and what they accept as fact. It is why, even though it is acknowledged as the absolute highest form of education, it's not taught. Who the hell uses a Socratic method? I mean, they talk about it, but who does it? Teachers occasionally fall into it. You know who I found? Most likely to use the Socratic method in high school, literature teachers, literature teachers, literature teachers, when you would do something like read Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and then create. And I had a really great teacher. Her name was Miss Sibling. I can see her in my head. God rest her soul. She's got to be gone by now. She had to be 70 when I was in high school. Brilliant, brilliant woman. And she would instigate these debates between students in the class and opinions about what the characters were really thinking. Not who said what, when, but was Brutus doing what he did for his own gain, or was Brutus doing what he did because he believed that it was the right thing for Rome? Was Mark Antony the hero he was portrayed as, or not? Like that. Very, very few. That's the only one. I can think of some I had some good teachers in high school for all the razzing I do of the education system. You know, I had some pretty good teachers. I had two fantastic history teachers. They were just fantastic, but they didn't do this. The one guy was like a rich little. If you're old enough to remember rich little, the guy could do impersonations and shit. And he would like be Al Capone or something when we we're talking about that time in history. And, I, and he was just incredibly animated and he was like almost an actor. And he made it real. And the other guy was just deep intellectual, fact-seeking, didn't give a shit what he was and wasn't supposed to teach. Vietnam veteran. Uh, this dude was a, he had a Ph.D. and he taught high school because he, he actually well, he was one of the teachers. When he said, I like to teach kids. He meant it. 
And his PhD dissertation was on the Kennedy assassination. He went so far as he bought a model, the, the, the Italian Corano rifle and scope that Oswald supposedly used and the ammunition and did went to the firing range and could I fire the shots accurately in the time? You argue that or not. He did that. Fantastic teacher. Didn't use a Socratic method. It doesn't fit well with modern education. It doesn't fit well with the Prussian education system we have. Again, it's, it's acknowledged. Like if you say, is the Socratic method an excellent method of education? Most teachers learn about it. They just don't do it because they can't. Not because they don't have a skill to do it, because they can't. doesn't fit. They will acknowledge it, again, as not only excellent, but probably the most astute method of learning there is. And each teacher thinks, well, the next level up, they'll do that. It definitely happens more in college than it does in you know high school. But it's not a mainstream thing, and it should be. But you can do it for yourself. And you can do it with the ultimate intellectual jujitsu master. Because I'm telling you, when you have a discussion like that with ChatGPT, you'll think, nah, and you say, okay, you know what we're going to do? We'll flip the roles now and watch it argue better than you did. And then you'll start to really master critical thinking. The last one, and I find this to be the ultimate thing that you can do with it. It will make a test for you. Let's say you have this long discussion. You drill down into everything. You think you understand everything. You can say, give me a 20-question, multiple-choice test. Let me answer the, the, the questions one at a time. At the end of each answer, tell me if I'm right or wrong. If I am incorrect, explain in depth what I got wrong and why it's wrong. And you can test your own knowledge. And now you're not taking a test because you want to get an A. You're not taking a test so that you get a gold star. You're actually testing if you know what you think you know. And when you get an answer wrong, you'll probably never get it wrong again when you do it that way. Because when you take a test and you get, like I did the other day when I was doing this, 19 out of 20 right, still pissed off about that what I got wrong. And the one I got wrong, it wasn't even that I didn't know. I was being cocky, and I gave an answer too fast, and I didn't completely read the last option. And if I had read it, I would have known. That's learning. It doesn't care about your feelings. It won't change your grade. And it will be judging you on the information that you said you wanted to learn instead of the information that it said you needed to learn. So this is what I'll ask you at this point. In a world where your competitors are going to use this, can you afford not to? In a world you're trying to, to prepare your children or grandchildren to go into, knowing that people like me will use it to help their grandchildren learn, will my grandchildren not beat your kids about the head and shoulders in competition in the world if you don't use it and mine do? Again, all things being equal, the dude with a 160 IQ is going to outperform the dude with a 75 IQ no matter what education he gets, in spite of what some people will tell you. Some people are stupid. Some people are made stupid. Some people could be smart and choose not to be. Like these are human things that we can't overcome. But no matter where that person's base level is, they can be better. You can go from sending out 
300 resumes and getting 30 responses to sending out 13 resumes and getting 13 interviews and six job offers. And that's just a real world example of something that happened. And then apply that to whatever dimension you go into with this. So if you want to survive, right, if you want to be prepared for the future, you better be learning about the things that are going to matter in the future. If you're 90, you could probably ignore all this. It probably doesn't matter anymore. You know, you can take as many walks as you have left if you're still able to do that, and that's great. And you can you can just let this go. If you have active things in your life left to do, you can't ignore it. But I don't care where you are. I don't think you should. I've always said, as long as you can fog a mirror, your mission here isn't done. And the number one thing that keeps people active in the world is learning. Learning. And the problem that we have is as we get older, the, the long, and this is why kids learn so much faster than adults, by the way. People think it's like how fast their neurons are forming or bullshit. No. This is what it is. The older you are, the more you've acted on what you think you know. The more times you've gone on record saying it, the more times you've made decisions based on it, the more times you've written it down, the more times you've spent money because of what you believe or refused to spend money because of what you believe. And the longer you've entrenched yourself in that dogma, the harder it is to accept that you were wrong. So a person that's 30 is going to have a harder time expect accepting that they were wrong about things than someone who's 15. But a person that's 60 and it's done well in life, it's really hard to say, hey, I've been doing this this way my whole life. It was wrong. It was wrong. But if you keep learning, if you keep learning, then you will keep being wrong. Every time you learn, every time you learn, you find out you were wrong. It's impossible to learn without finding out you were wrong because you either just didn't know something existed or you thought it existed differently than it did. That's a very definition of learning. And by learning every day, by challenging yourself mentally every day, you're less likely to get into the sunk cost fallacy that Andy's bringing up right here. The sunken cost fallacy is, well, I have to do it because I already spent this much money on it. That's how we stay in wars forever. Well, this many men have died. We can't get out of this war now. If it was a mistake, how many more should we let die before we get out of it? That's a sunken cost fallacy. It's an extreme example. If you don't experience cognitive dissonance on a regular basis, you ain't learning. If you don't find out you were wrong once a day, you ain't learning once a day. Every time you learn something new, you find out you were wrong about something. And the older you get, the more that's true. We can forgive lack of knowledge in a five-year-old far more than a 50-year-old. A lot of times you'll be like, I, how many have seen the thing, like it's on social media, whatever, I was this many days old? And you're like, how did I not know that? The one that got me, this was like 10 years ago I saw it. But I was today's, today days old on that day. I never noticed. If, if you had pointed it out and said, what does that mean? I would have probably figured it out. But I had never noticed when you're in a car, you have a gas gauge, and at somewhere where that gas gauge is will be an arrow pointing to either the left or right side of the car. 
And whatever direction that arrow points is the side the gas cap's on. Which once you own a car, you don't really care about, so then you don't think about it. But when you're renting a car or borrowing a car, how many times have you rented a car, borrowed a car? Yours is on the left. The one you're borrowing is on the right. You don't even think about it. You pull up. You get out of the car. You're like, son of a bitch. You got to go turn it around. Or you have two cars in your household, and one's your wife's and one's yours, or one's your husband's and one's yours. And you always drive the other one, and then you have to take the other car, and you pull into the gas station because she didn't fill the gas tank again. And then when you pull in, you get out, you're like, damn it. If you would have known that, you would have known the look as you pulled in. It wouldn't have happened. So when you learned it, even though you think it was just something you didn't know, you learned that you were wrong. Your belief was there was no indication inside the vehicle of that piece of information. And when you learned, you found out you were wrong. The Socratic method and the testing method that I gave you at the end will turbocharge your learning, turn you into a speed learner. And if you've always wanted to attain a level of what we call being a polymath, I don't know a better way to do it. Now, real quick at the end, there are some things that you don't actually know until you do them. And they require things like going outside and bolting shit together and stuff like that. ChatGPT can help you with the base knowledge for that. You still have to get the practical hands-on experience. But when it comes to knowledge, straight knowledge instead of skill, Nothing has ever existed to let you move on that side of the board faster than this. Ignore it at your own peril. Ignore it at your own peril. Real quick, Jason says, can you use it as an accountant? Yes, you can. Yes, you can in many ways, too. But he also said I already answered his question. But one would be, for example, explain to me what I got wrong in this equation. Accounting is all about equations. And so it, it is very helpful with things like that. But it can also do things like analyze um, an idea like what could I you can even ask it things like I spent money for the following thing in my business what should I call it when I expense it and I wouldn't take that a hundred percent I might run that by a CPA until you determine that it gives you the right answer all the time but it's pretty helpful it's pretty helpful especially if you get creative with what you deduct uh Hogs says uh, you should be teaching this to your kids and grandchildren. Absolutely. I had the same reaction most people do when I first found out about this, when I first found out about ChatGPT. I remember the discussion with my wife when I was explaining to her how it worked. I thought this was really cool for me. And my grandson does not have a strong work ethic, right? He just doesn't have a strong work ethic yet. I'm hoping he develops one. And I told her, he can't know this exists. He can't know this exists. And then I realized how stupid that was. And I said, all we have to do is make sure that he's incapable of using it to complete his assignments. And we should be teaching him how to use it to do better at his assignments. And instead of going straight to chat GPT with him, what I actually started on with him was the image generation with Midjourney because I'm like, you tell me something you want to make a picture of. And we started playing. He was instantly fascinated. Now here's a kid I'm trying to get to do shit. That's always trying to avoid doing shit, pushing me out of the way, wanting to try. That's master teaching. Find the motivation in the student and the student will run right past you in the thing that they're interested in. And that takes 
a willingness to accept that if you're a good teacher, your students always get better than you, always, or you're not a good teacher. What is what is the point if your students don't get better? Um, I'm looking for anything here as a question. There are some all caps, but I don't see any that really show like questions. So I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. I know I enjoyed doing it. And uh, I really encourage you to, before you write this off, please try it. Don't be afraid of it. It's not going to get, it's not going to crawl through your computer and eat you. It's not going to be like, I can't open the pod bay doors, howl. Right. That's not what it is. It just isn't. And and the, the sooner you learn that, the sooner you'll have the opportunity to stop falling behind in a race that you don't even know that you're in. Especially if you're someone that's done really well in life. You know, the old story of the we talked about the ant and the grasshopper all the time on the show. You might as well use some of the other fables. Right. How about the, 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 the tortoise and the hare? So the, 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 the moral of the tortoise and the hare is supposed to be that slow and steady wins the race. But it's not. It's not. The moral of the story is you can be better, but if you screw off, you'll lose. If something's going on you're unaware of that's advancing your opposition, they'll get way ahead of you. And by the time you figure it out, no matter how fast you can run, they've already won. That's what's happening to so many right now. That's what's happening to so many people right now. Right now, we're at a place in time where your opponents, your adversaries, your competitors, friendly and not so friendly adversaries are using these tools. And you might have been the jackrabbit up till now, and they might have been the tortoise. But every day, they're lengthening that gap. And by the time you figure it out, that means I got you got to learn how to do the things I talked about today, not just that they can be done. And your opponent's still just pulling away from you. That turtle just he's just going nice and slow. It's not the slow and steady wins the race. It's the person that doesn't sleep wins the race. Now we have to sleep, so we need we need the assistance of something that doesn't. And that's what this technology is. It's it's something that doesn't sleep. It doesn't get bored. It doesn't get tired. On that, I do believe in education, and I'm not ready to write books off yet. I mentioned using books and discussions with books many times today. Today's item of the day, if you want to support the show and do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com, where you help us out no matter what you eventually buy, is the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook by James Green. I just realized I hadn't brought this book around in a while. And, yeah, I love education. That's why I just dedicated a show to learning today. If I, I don't think you'd get the education with just chat BT on herbal medicine that this book would do a standalone. But I think combining the two might be really awesome. It's amazing what happens when you have a tool like GPT and you know enough to know what you want to know next. But this book, this is like getting a full scale course in herbalism at the home herbalist level. And it's about 20 bucks. If you ask me, Jack, if I could only have one book on my shelf about herbalism, what would it be? It would be this book, The Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook by James Green. Um, I have sold a couple thousand copies of these over about five years, and all I've ever gotten is great feedback. Definitely check this one out. I think you'll enjoy it. It starts out with some real basic stuff about like how to make a tincture from dandelion. All the herbs it uses are very safe, but it goes through Everything. I mean, everything you can think of when it comes to herbalism. 
Uh, like how to make a hydrosol. What's a hydrosol? Now that you heard the word, you can ask chat GPT, but this book would tell you how to do it. And if you just take one or two projects out of each section, by the time you get through with this, I'll tell you right now, you'll be a better herbalist than most of the people that have formal training and call themselves herbalists from a practical standpoint. Again, learning what you want versus what somebody else says you need. Anyway, with that, guys, I really appreciate you guys today. Um, I expected more uh, heckling. I guess the hecklers stay away, which that makes more sense. I've never understood. I don't, I, heckling and disagreement are something totally different. Disagreement is I don't agree at this point. Okay, great. Let's let's have a Socratic discussion about that now that we all know what it is. Um, heckling is when you got the person like, this sucks. It's going to die. It's going to kill you. It's going to eat you. You're crazy. You're stupid. Like People like that I ban. I expected a few of those today. I don't know why people waste their time showing up to do that. Um, quite sophomoric. Uh, but we didn't have any of that, even with some uh, some you know interesting disagreements today. Uh, Evelyn says it's still scary, but I love learning. Thanks, Jack. This might be helpful, especially for writing. Indeed. What do you? Here, here's my thing: the people that are afraid of it. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to get you. <laughs> it's not going to get you. It's just something new. You know, there's the old cartoon, and it's like a group of cavemen. And like one caveman is out building a fire and the other ones are all like they got stones and spears and shit and they're hiding behind a rock and they're afraid of the fire. It's the same thing. Every new technology set people that's afraid of it. And you can say, but it's dangerous. And like I said, yes, yes, cars are dangerous, but you own one. And you know how to drive one. Guns are dangerous, but you own one and know how to drive one. I'm sorry. You know how to, how to use one. What isn't dangerous? What isn't what? that you can truly call a technology isn't potentially dangerous. Agriculture feeds the world. Agriculture was used to enslave the world. But does that mean you're not going to eat? Does that mean you won't take the pieces of agriculture that make sense and integrate them into your life? I mean, that already happened. If you look back at history, you can see that humanity was free Modern agriculture, when I say modern agriculture, I'm going back 10,000 years, surfaced. It allowed permanent settlement and hierarchy, and mankind became enslaved by a, a hierarchical system. But is agriculture bad? What kind of agriculture, in what way, and what implementation? See, that is how you, that's how you have to approach all new technologies. There'll be a day, there'll be a day, those of you, who sit here like me right now and go, why are these people afraid of this technology? Unless you truly stay hungry to learn and discover new things. There'll come a day when there'll be a new technology. They'll take that side of the argument on. When you get there, try using the Socratic method to unstick yourself because new technologies never go away. This is the last thing I, I'm going to say about this, right? <laughs> hey, uh, Joe Tibbetts says, how old is the squash over my left shoulder? You see the top fell off it like two days ago? Uh, it's about 10 months old. It finally, the tip of it started to rot. I'm going to use it for seed. That was an experiment. I wanted to see if I could get another one in winter storage uh, ripeness before that one rotted, and it was right about the same time. Anyway, um, yeah, Evelyn's afraid it will impersonate her and replace her. It's going to do that whether you learn how to use it or not. See, that's the thing. It doesn't, whatever you come up with, 
that thing is going to occur whether you use it or not. It's a tool. But here's what I would say is when has there ever been a technology developed that went away? Unless it was replaced by a better technology. Like when the airplane was created, they're like, oh, man, this is dangerous. It could fall out of the sky and kill somebody. There's planes everywhere today. And we'll get rid of planes when we perfect something like matter energy transport. That's when we'll get rid of planes. When we when we go so far beyond the technology that we we outdate it. Horses and buggies still exist. Polaroid, yeah, Joe's perfect example. Polaroid. But Polaroid, well, first of all, hipsters love Polaroids. And uh, the young people love Polaroids. <laughs> I had to pose for Polaroid pictures at my niece's graduation party a week ago. So Polaroids are gone. But, you know, they are kind of outdated and archaic. But taking pictures didn't go away. We just developed new technologies to accomplish the same thing. So picture taking and recording. I don't know why anybody uses a Polaroid. People like it. Horse and buggy still exist, but most people use a car. But transportation will always exist. And there will always be a new technology. And that new technology, so Evelyn says, why would you give it help to do so? How do you think you're giving it help to do so? What do you think you're doing when you ask it for information that's going to help it replace you? What's it going to replace your ability to do? It's it's a tool. So either either you use it to do what you do more efficiently or I use it to replace you. That's how it works. That's how all these technologies have always worked. Again, Many, many, many moons ago, there were guys that used to saw logs into board lumber. And they did it with a pit and a two-man ripsaw, long dimension of the lumber. One dude got in the pit and the other dude stood up on top and sawed a plank off of a tree. Including you had to first cut off and square up the, the log. So you had to do all that shit. To get the part you discarded or maybe turned into shingles or something off. And the guy in the pit, his job sucked because all the sawdust fell down his back and everything. So they took turns. The sawman would saw the length of the log and then they would get out. And then the dude that was in the bottom would be on top for the next cut. And they did it all day long. Talk about a shitty job. But those men protested and threatened to do violence when the first sawmill popped up. But we still have sawmills and we don't have sawmen. There are people it will replace. You either learn to use it so you have something else to do. Or it replaces you completely. The choice is yours. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Are they gonna bail you out? Just run you round They said you should have a house The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way